Well, the Gonzaga Bulldogs looked a little lethargic, particularly in the second half in a win over Cal State Bakersfield on Tuesday evening. Should we be worried heading into Saturday's big game against USC in Las Vegas? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome into the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Folks, today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by PrizePix. Go to prizepix.com slash college. Use that promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for a first deposit match of up to $100. PrizePix is daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, folks, we got the good and the bad from Tuesday's win over Cal State Bakersfield to cover today. We're going to close out the show looking at the WCC for WCC Wednesday. Particularly, we're going to talk about whether we think St. Mary's is still the second best team in the conference or if Santa Clara or San Francisco has possibly passed them. The Gales are on a four out of five game losing streak right now. Really tough stuff from them. We'll get to that to close out the show, but we got to start with Gonzaga's 81-65 win over Cal State Bakersfield. And look, for those of you who watched the game, it wasn't pretty. It was lackadaisical. It was lethargic at times. It just kind of felt like both teams were, were walking through mud, to be honest. But I think, and especially for those of you who missed this game, who just looked at the box score, you might see, oh, that score looks a little closer than I thought. But if you look at the box score, Gonzaga was really efficient. It almost feels like it didn't quite match up with the game in some senses. The, the Zach shot 52.5% from the field. They shot 35.7% from three. They shot 80% from the free throw line. You will take that night in and night out. Any given night, that over 50% from the field, over 35% from three, 80% from the free throw line, that's fantastic. Those are great numbers. That combined with a 15, 16-point victory – Generally, you're feeling pretty good about that. There's not really any negative energy about that kind of performance. But Cal State Bakersfield, they do the kind of the St. Mary's blueprint of slowing you down and playing a really methodical, slow-paced offense. And typically, Gonzaga can kind of outrun those teams and, and dictate the pace, make the other team play at their pace. St. Mary's is one of the few teams that really does a good job of preventing Gonzaga from being able to do that. But in this contest, Bakersfield was kind of able to to, to play the game at their pace, to keep it slow, to keep it in that in that kind of methodical 30 seconds type possessions. And, and Gonzaga just never really built a big lead. We'll talk about some of the not so great stuff later on. The good stuff, Ryan Nemhard had, had his best game in a Gonzaga uniform. 22 points, that is his, his high in a Gonzaga uniform, his season high, I should say. Eight of 12 from the field, two of four from deep. He immediately got out to a fantastic start, hit a three really early in the game. Uh, he also had five assists, a pair of boards, and a pair of steals. Uh, he also, one of the things I really liked from him, we saw both him and Nolan Hickman do this a few times in this game, is coming down the floor, trying to get out in transition. You, you dribble the ball down the court. You realize the transition isn't there. You look for, for guys kind of coming down behind you, trailers. If you don't see that, what we saw Nembhard do a few times was turn turn his back to the basket and start backing down whatever guard had kind of found him in transition to guard him. That's a really good way to, A, 
start to build yourself position to potentially make a move for the basket and score. It also gives more of your, your teammates opportunities to get set up, to find some maybe holes in the uh, defense as the defense is still kind of scrambling to find their spots. If Nemhard's backing down his defender, looking over his shoulder for a, a player like maybe a cutting Graham EK or a cutting Dusty Stromer or a, a late trailer who's got an open three, like it's a really good way to kind of still get a transition bucket while also allowing the rest of your offensive players to find their spots. If ultimately there's no wide open transition buckets, you can either pull it out and set up the offense, or you can just, you know, continue backing your guy down and try to go for a bucket. And Nembhard was really good at that. Nigel Williams-Goss is the best post-up point guard Gonzaga has had. Jalen Suggs was good at it as well. He didn't do it as often, but seeing Nembhard do this out in transition, I think is a really valuable thing for Gonzaga that we're going to see pay dividends later in the season. We saw Hickman do it once as well. He ended up getting an elbow a little too high on his post move and got called for an offensive foul, but still the kind of thing I like seeing our point guards do here for this Gonzaga team. More good things. Dusty Stromer, 10 first half points. That set a career high. Now he did not score in the second half, unfortunately, despite playing way too many minutes in the second half. We will get to that, but still career high for Dusty Stromer. He hit a pair of threes very early in this game. I think he had eight points in the first six minutes, five minutes of this game. So didn't do a whole lot of offensively after that still continued to be that very active player that we've seen from him throughout his, uh, his brief Gonzaga career. He had four rebounds in this one. Uh, really nice stuff from Dusty. He's still developing as that offensive piece for Gonzaga. He's just not quite there. But again, this is like what his fifth, sixth game uh, playing in a, in a college uniform. So he's got a lot of development still to do, a lot of growth still to come. But but really liked what we saw from him on both ends of the floor in this game. And then, of course, already mentioned this 80% from the free throw line. Hard to not like that especially coming off that Maui invitation where the free throw shooting was just a big issue for Gonzaga. Uh, 80% from the free throw line is probably not going to be the average going forward, but it was really nice to see them produce at that spot, especially after they didn't do so well there uh, the previous couple games. The bad stuff, we already kind of talked about the, the energy level. The Zags only outscored Bakersfield by one in the second half. They basically maintained that 15, 16 point lead for the entirety of the second half, never really went on a run, never really got a, a big enough lead to feel super comfortable. I think they were up 20 at one point briefly, but it kind of fluctuated between like 18 and 13 points for the lead for pretty much the entirety of the second half was kind of right in that range. Uh, I thought Mark Few should have been more confident playing his bench. He was not. Uh, the, the bench players very played a very limited role in this game. Braden Huff played, Jun Suk Yo played a, a few minutes here and there. Uh, ben Gregg, I'm not sure exactly what happened to him. I, I think there might have been an injury. Hopefully it's not anything serious. Uh, I'm recording this shortly after the game, so maybe there's an update we've heard since then, but he, we didn't see much of him in the second half. And we saw low, no Luka Krinovich, none of the walk-ons. And just part of that was because Gonzaga didn't ever build that lead uh, out in the 22, 24, 25 point range. I thought Mark Few, I would like to see him be more confident playing those bench players, even when they don't have a big lead, but obviously he is not there with some of the guys on this team and hard to fault him for that. But we got USC, we got UConn, we got UW, we got San Diego State all coming up. And I mean, I guess Ryan Nembard's going to play every minute of all those games because that's the way it seems to be shaken out right now. So uh, that's a big concern for Gonzaga. We'll talk more about that in the second segment. Uh, a couple other things that, that weren't great in this game. The Zags kind of struggled to finish in transition. They got out in transition a handful of times. A lot of times they ended up drawing contact, getting to the free throw line, which, again, they 
were very good there in this game. But I see a lot of opportunities to get transition buckets, and either they they make the, the extra pass too late, they don't make the extra pass, they drive into traffic, get fouled, or don't get the, the foul call and just miss the shot. And I, I think this team has the ability to be a very good transition offense. But when they get those opportunities, which were more rare in this game because of Bakersfield style, they didn't take advantage as much as I would like them to do. Team also only had 10 assists to nine turnovers. That's just gross. Nine turnovers isn't horrible, but 10 assists is pretty bad. Uh, and I think the main culprit there was just a lot of isolation basketball. And it, I'm not sure why. Gonzaga has run this side-to-side ball screen action, those high pick and rolls consistently for, I mean, decades, quite honestly. And that's been a staple of Gonzaga's offense. And we really didn't see a lot of it. It was a lot of trying to force feed the ball to Graham E.K. And he was great when he got the basketball in his hands, 11 points, but wasn't his most efficient night. Mostly did his damage from the free throw line where he was five of six. But I'm not sure why, especially with Ryan Nemhard. I know he's not his brother. Andrew was probably the most prolific pick and roll point guard in college basketball, but I don't see why we're not doing more ball screen actions, more of that pick and roll stuff, because I think that that could be a really big part of the offense. And it was weird to not see that in the game here where I thought that it would have been a really solid fit. Well, the Zags barely played any bench players, which we already talked about that. We did see a nice bounce back performance from Braden Huff. We'll get to that and a few more things from my five keys to watch in this game all coming up. After a word from today's sponsor, Prize Picks. Folks, Prize Picks offers you weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like their Taco Tuesday deals. Every Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide you with even more value. With the Prize Picks reboot policy, your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for NFL games and college football top 25 matchups, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and they don't return in the second half, that player is rebooted. Folks, this is unprecedented in the daily fantasy sports space. PrizePix is the only DFS app that has injury insurance. Beyond that, the app is just really easy to use. All you do is pick two or more players and you choose more or less with whatever stat is given. So for Sunday or Saturday, we don't have the lines yet. But if you got Ryan Nemhard, 10 and a half, 11 and a half points, I think he's going to have a big game in the lights in Las Vegas. And I love what Graham EK is going to get a chance to do against a not so great USC front court. So check out Price Fix before that game. Throw some money down and you're going to come out of it a winner. So go to pricefix.com slash college now. Use that promo code college. Don't forget, you'll get a first deposit match of up to $100. Again, that's pricefix.com slash college. Use promo code college for a first deposit match of up to $100. Pricefix, daily fantasy sports made easy. So I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen for your first watch of the day and remind you about a new thing going on at Locked On, the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. This is on YouTube and the Fast TV Network 24-7 all the time. Locked On Sports Today is here covering the the top stories of the day. They have all the national shows in there. You'll see Locked On Zags in there. You can have it on in the background, listening to sports conversation from local experts in every media market literally all day long. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe for the first ever national 24-7 sports streaming channel. Well, as we've been doing so far this season for games, we we either have five keys to victory, depending on the, the matchup, the opponent, or we'll do a five things to watch. Because we weren't as concerned about Gonzaga actually pulling off a victory here against the Roadrunners, the five things to watch were just 
things we were hoping to see in this game, things we wanted to be able to, to recap here uh, following the game. Unfortunately, a lot of these things didn't end up being particularly relevant because Mark Few ran such a short bench in this game. The number one thing I was watching for in this game, I wanted to see a lot of Luka Krinovich. More specifically, I wanted to see a lot less of Ryan Nempart and Nolan Hickman. I did not want to see them play 35 minutes a night. There was no reason in my mind that those two guys who were basically ran ragged in Maui played almost, I think I saw that Stromer and, and um, Hickman or, and, and Nemhard, excuse me, played like 233 out of the 240 minutes that they could have played. I think all three of those guys basically didn't sit at all in the Maui Invitational. Here we come into a game against Bakersfield, a team outside the top 300 in Ken Palm, and Luka Krenovic, the the presumed third, fourth guard, doesn't play. Doesn't get on the floor at all. Now, the starting point guards, Hickman and Nemhard, did not play the entire game. The Zags ran some kind of goofy lineups where uh, they would have Yo come in and play the three. Stromer would slide down to the two, and then one of either Hickman or Nemhard would get a break. And I think that we will see more of that. I think we're going to see more of Watson at the three, Yo at the three, Stromer potentially playing the two. That could be how those two guards get a break. But again, you're you're still going to have Stromer, two of Stromer, Hickman, and Nemhard on the floor at the same time. I don't see, unless Krinovich starts playing more, you're just not going to see a lot of lineups without two of those three guys. They're going to continue to get worn down. It just doesn't feel like the confidence is there with Krinovich. We've talked a lot about why it's pretty simple. He didn't join the team until September, so the learning curve is just steep. We saw some exciting stuff from him in the preseason. I think there's definitely some optimism that he can be a contributor, but obviously Mark Few is not ready to roll him out there just yet. Would like to see more from him. I feel it. I know many of you feel it right now. There's got to be some reason Mark Few is not feeling the the not feeling getting him out there onto the floor. Uh, certainly, if Gonzaga had been able to build a bigger lead in the second half here, I think we would have seen him. But it was tough to see those guys have to play 35, 38 minutes uh, in a game against a team like this. Next thing we were looking for was a breakout game from Jun Suk Yo. We didn't quite get it. We did see some excitement from Yo. Uh, he had he played he came in around the 10 minute mark in the first half. I don't know exactly how many minutes he played in this game. Not a ton, maybe eight to ten ish. I'm not even sure he got to 10 minutes in this one. To be honest, uh, he had a really big block in the second half. Rejected a guy right at the rim. Uh, then he came down the floor and took a transition three where he wasn't open and he had teammates who were open. He missed that three. The next possession down, he got completely lost on a pick and roll. His man ended up driving to the basket. I think Anton Watson came over and had to commit a foul to stop him from scoring. Just that is kind of the June Sakyo experience right now. Jaw-dropping athleticism, plays that remind you how good he is. The block at the rim was fantastic. He got out in transition, got an easy lay-in from a pass from Ryan Nempart later in the game that looked effortless. But there's still defensive lapses, and there's still shot selection issues. This is not meant to be overly critical of Yo. This is where I think we expect him to be right now. He is being forced to play more minutes because Gonzaga's death took a huge hit with the Steel Venters injury. But I think you can see the upside, the rawness, the potential, and also why he's not playing a lot more minutes. I think he needs to continue to play to get better, to get that experience, to be more ready for this team later in the season and into next year. So I'm great with him playing those minutes. I'm fine with him making those mistakes. It goes back to what I was saying before. I want Luka Krinovich to be getting those same opportunities to make those same mistakes. He was not given that opportunity in this game. Clearly, Yo is ahead of him right now in that depth chart conversation.
Next thing we were looking for was a bounce back from Braden Huff. He didn't play particularly great in Maui. Of course, the competition level there was incredibly stiff. Uh, still had some solid moments, but just wasn't quite that same guy. And he came out here and looked great. 10 points on 5 of 5 shooting in the first half. Effortless scoring from Braden Huff in the first half of this game. Unfortunately, didn't do much of anything in the second half. He finished with 12 points. He had two free throws in the second half. That was it. Uh, Gonzaga's entire offense just kind of stalled out entirely in the second half. But Braden still finishes with 12 points, three boards, and an assist. Still nice to see him have a double-digit productive, a double-digit game, scoring game for him. Uh, and, you know, we didn't see much of Ben Gregg. And, and I think there's a chance Ben Gregg was hurt. We talked about that already. I, I'm not sure the situation there. It looked like he was maybe limping, but it was kind of hard to tell. He definitely went off into the locker room and didn't return at some point in the second half. I also think Huff's probably passed him on the depth chart. I think those two guys are, are going to continue to play a similar amount of minutes, uh, health assuming, of course, for both of them. But I do think Huff is the preferred option right now. He, he does appear to be he, – he's a better scorer around the rim than Greg right now, and I think he's a little bit ahead of Greg defensively too. But um, I wouldn't make too much of that right now until we get a better sense of what's going on with Greg, if anything, for him right now. One of the other things we were watching for was Zag's – outside shooting and you know what they got off to a great start three of three to start from beyond the arc Nemhart hit one dusty hit two and they looked like they were rolling and about to really bump up that three-point percentage and you know what they still finished at 35.7 percent for the game but that's five of 14 so you take away those first threes that they made at the very beginning of the game they went two for 11 for the last like 16 minutes of the game they went oh of five for the rest of the first half and then didn't do much of anything in the second half. Still not an area of Gonzaga's game that is consistent. The offense just didn't flow very well. When the offense isn't flowing well, you're not getting those open looks. Uh, we saw some guys pull up shots they shouldn't have taken. I mentioned the Yo one. Watson took a pretty hideous three at one point in the first half that I think hit backboard first. Uh, just some, some questionable shot selection in this game. Some Again, maybe they were look, overlooking their opponent. I'm not sure what happened in this one. Just kind of didn't look quite like themselves. Uh, was gl glad to see the actual percentage looked pretty good from deep, but it's a bit misleading because for the vast majority of this game, Gonzaga was, was not a particularly effective team from beyond the arc. The last key we had listed was hoping to see some walk-on minutes, and as we've already discussed a handful of times here, that did not happen. We did not see Luka Krinovich. We did not see Colby Brooks or Joe Few. We did not see Pavel Stosic. Uh, we only saw eight players in this game. The five starters, good run from Braden Huff, a little bit of run from Yo, and a little bit of run from Greg, and that was it. The Zags, of course, do have the rest of the week off before they play against USC on Saturday, so plenty of opportunity for these guys to rest their legs, but at some point we're going to have to see some more of that depth and we're going to have to see Gonzaga start burying some teams, which they got plenty of opportunities against some SWAC opponents coming up, Jackson State, uh, Mississippi Valley State, a few other teams that, that Gonzaga should be able to handle on the schedule. But this was one of those opportunities and it feels like they kind of missed it by not playing very well in that second half. Well, speaking of teams not playing very well, we don't have to talk about Gonzaga anymore because we get to talk about St. Mary's. They have lost four of their last five games and we're starting to wonder if they're even the second best team in the WCC. And we're going to talk more about that after a word from today's sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. Folks, these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best and most qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. 
It's honestly, it's really easy to create a free job post. And all you do is add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. From there, simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates who have just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Folks, closing out the show today, WCC Wednesday. So we're talking about the second best team in the WCC. And for most of the last two decades, that has been an easy conversation. It has been the Gales of St. Mary's. BYU had a brief little run there, but for the most part, it has been Mark Few's show and then Randy Bennett's show. And this year, for the first time in a while, People said, hey, I think it's going to be Randy Bennett's show, and then it's going to be Mark Few's show. The coaches projected Randy Bennett and St. Mary's to be the best team in the WCC. That was according to the coaches' votes. And now, I don't even know if St. Mary's is going to be second. A really rough start to the season for the Gales. They are currently 68th at Ken Palm right now. For the record, San Francisco is 70th. They are right on their heels, those Dons are. We also have LMU at 106, Santa Clara at 123. We'll focus more on Santa Clara today. They've had a, a, a better schedule to get a sense of, of what kind of program they are. But we'll start with the Gales. They've lost four or five. They had that hideous loss to Weber State. That was really what put the put us on notice and put a lot of other people around the league on notice of like, oh, this the, 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 there's some, some warts. There's some issues going on over there in Moraga, California. Then they go out and lose to San Diego State by 25 points. Yes, San Diego State's a good basketball program. But 25 – and for the record, San Diego State's not ranked anymore because they, had, they suffered some losses as well. They had that loss to BYU – and then they get, I mean, for St. Mary's to get waxed by that team, they go out and lose to Xavier as well by 17 points. Xavier is a quality program, but they don't look like a, an, an NCAA tournament team. They might sneak in. You never know. The Big East is pretty loaded. Plenty of quad one opportunities for them to pick up if they pull off some upsets. But this is a, a worse Xavier team than last year. And St. Mary's lost to them by 17. And then they also lose to Utah. And that was a close game against Utah. And Utah is a, a decently quality program, but it was at home. You bring a Power 6 team to your house for the first time in many years. I think the first time is like 2010 that a Power 6 team has come into Moraga, California, and you let them beat you? Woof. This is not going well for St. Mary's. They, their wins are over a D2 team in Stanislaus State. They have a win over New Mexico. They have a win over Davidson. I want to give a quick shout-out to St. Mary's for playing a pretty darn good schedule. The fact that, uh, yeah, the D2 team, you toss that out, whatever, but pretty much every other game they've played is a quality opponent. The second worst team they have played outside of the D2 schools is Weber State, which they unfortunately lost to. But New Mexico and Davidson are not bad wins. Both those teams are potential NCAA tournament teams. Davidson is playing like one of the best teams in the Atlantic 10 Conference. There's a real chance they win that league. New Mexico hasn't quite lived up to expectations. They've had some injuries to some of their key players in the backcourt, but they were a preseason team with, with getting a lot of votes as a top 25 team. So the two wins for St. Mary's aren't terrible, but the losses are pretty horrific. And again, the, the, the teams they lost to aren't necessarily terrible, but the 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 amount that they lost by 25 to San Diego State, 17 to Xavier, just not going to cut it. This team desperately needs Logan Johnson. 
he was there, the the emotional leader, the heart and soul, the toughness, the physicality, and him being out the door, they just they have not replicated that success. Augustus Marcelonis was supposed to step into that role as kind of a secondary guard scorer next to Aiden Mahaney. Marcelonis is shooting under 30% from the field, not from deep, from the field. He is shooting 29.6% from deep. He's shooting 19%. He just cannot find the bucket right now for St. Mary's. Their depth is, is not what they wanted it to be. Marcelonis really needed to step up for this team to be able to reach the threshold that many people had for them before the year. And Aiden Mahaney hasn't quite been the guy that they needed him to be either. He's shooting 40% from three, uh, but he's shooting 43% from the field. This is the guy who whose acrobatic finishes around Anton Watson last year were, were what got them that victory. In the second half, he just absolutely torched Gonzaga on ball screens, got to the basket, scored around guys at will, and now that ability is just not there. It's just not there. And I think not having a guy like Logan Johnson around him, not having a, a shooter like Kyle Bowen, has, has made more pressure for Mahaney, and he has not quite stepped up into that role just yet. So it'll be now the, the good thing for St. Mary's is they get some more opportunities, but they got Boise state on the first, they got Cleveland state on the fifth. That's not a great team, but then they got Colorado state on the road. Colorado state is currently ranked number 20 in the country. They got a huge matchup against in-state rival Colorado coming up very soon. If the uh, Rams can win that one can beat their in-state rival in Colorado, they'll probably be a top. They'll, I mean, they'll certainly stay in the top 20. They might even be a top 15 team, depending on the rest uh, of the top 25 shakes out. That's a really good Colorado State team. Do I think St. Mary's is going to go to their house and win? Not the way they're playing right now. Do I think they're capable of it? Yeah, I think St. Mary's is definitely capable of it because the style they play, they can slow teams down. If they force you into an off-shooting night, they only need to score 55, 60 points to win. Now, St. Mary's offense hasn't looked good. I'm not saying that they're that this team is, is better than the way they've played. They've played bad because they look bad. But I, Randy Bennett's a good coach, and I think they might turn it around a little bit. But at this point, their at-large bids, opportunity for an at-large bid resides on them winning every one of these games, pretty much every game in the conference. Like, they, they, their room for air is razor, razor thin right now. Now, the question becomes, are they the second-best team in the WCC? Right now, they're still second at, at Ken Palm again, only barely. And it's going to be close. To me, I, Santa Clara and San Francisco are right there. San Francisco has two losses to Boise State and Grand Canyon back-to-back games. They really needed one of them. I think if they won one of those games, I think we might be having a different conversation right now. Their wins are over Minnesota and DePaul, two Power 6 programs, but two pretty weak Power 6 programs. Beat Minnesota quite bad, badly at the Chase Center. That was a fantastic game for them. They beat DePaul pretty badly as well. But again, those are not great teams. Rest of their wins are over by games. Now, San Francisco has a chance, though, because they got Arizona, Arizona State left. Excuse me. They have Vanderbilt. They have Utah State and Fresno State. That's four good teams still on the schedule. Vanderbilt's not great, but winning and beating an SEC team will at least help uh, their resume look a little bit better. Arizona State hasn't quite been uh, the, the team that they are expected to be, but I believe that game is on the road. So going into Arizona State's house and beating them is a huge potential opportunity for them. Utah State and Fresno State, quality Mountain West teams. If USF goes 4-0 four four through those games, and St. Mary's drops a game to Boise State or that game to Colorado State or, God forbid, both, which could absolutely happen, I think we're having a different conversation. I think San Francisco's in that conversation. Meanwhile, Santa Clara is 6-1. and one. Their only loss is a 
30-point blowout to Ohio State. They got absolutely ran out of the gym by the Buckeyes. That loss might age okay because I think Ohio State's pretty darn good. Uh, they beat Alabama before they beat uh, Santa Clara. So they, they're a team that, that might be on the rise here. Now, Santa Clara also has two wins over Pac-12 teams in Oregon and Stanford. Stanford has looked quite bad this season. That, that win is unfortunately not going to age all that well. For the Broncos, they also beat Oregon when they were missing two front court starters. But still... Two Pac-12 wins, only one loss on the season. That loss is to a team that I expect to be in the top 25 in short order. Santa Clara doesn't have quite as many opportunities to pick up more key wins, but they do got a road game at Cal. They got home games against New Mexico, Utah State, Washington State, and Yale. How many of those teams are in the NCAA tournament? Uh, not sure. Might not be any, if we're being perfectly honest. Probably not Wazoo. Yale, I think, is the expected favorite in the, in the Ivy League, but only takes one loss to not make it there. Utah State and New Mexico are probably like fringe tournament teams right now. Cal's certainly out. Uh, so you probably need to go 5-0 and in that stretch there. 4-1 and maybe, maybe is enough for Santa Clara, but just not a big enough schedule for them to really make a ton of noise here. Ultimately, from a talent perspective, I still think St. Mary's the second best team in the conference. I'm not sure they're going to finish second, though. The way they're playing right now, the way the the way that they look, the 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 disjointedness that they have offensively, I'm going to say right now that I think San Francisco is going to finish second. I think San Francisco is a, a polished team. I think that the transfers they brought in are really a great fit for what they need. Jonathan Mogbo has been incredible as a front court player for them. He's averaging 15.7 points, nine boards, 2.7 assists, and two steals as their starting center coming over from Missouri State. Give me the Dons. Give me the Dons. I'd love to see a, a Gonzaga USF WCC championship game. That would be incredible. I am all about that. So give me the Dons finishing second in the WCC. I'm going to call my shot on that right now. But I also think there's no reason in any way, shape, or form that Gonzaga fans or any WCC fans should just start overlooking the Gales because they're still going to be a, a team that's capable of beating you any given night. And they're going to really bring it against the Zags when they face them this year. That's going to do it for us today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Don't forget to join us on our Discord channel. There's a link in the show notes. It is free to join. We talked throughout this Gonzaga basketball game on Tuesday night. It was a fantastic fun. Looking forward to chatting with many of you all again soon. Thanks for listening. Until next time, as always, go Zags.